Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in Exodus 31 first, and then ultimately we're going to, to jump ahead to uh, Exodus 31 and then uh, Colossians 3. And uh, I'm only going to read a few verses out of both of those, so I don't have a lot. Um, but I want to do the most, pra- this is the most practical message I've ever taught in my life. And, uh, and it's about your work. And when I say your work, I mean your job, okay? So we're going to talk about your job today. And some of you are like, my Lord, I came to church to get away from my job. Um, and that's basically most of what we're going to talk about. And so, um, so let me bring the, the old whiteboard over here. Let me just read some stuff I've been writing, and then we'll, we'll get in to this. Uh, this, is, this is what Martin Luther, the reformer, this is what he said. I'm going to quote this from him. He said, your work is very, excuse me, let me start over. Your work is a very sacred matter. God delights in it, and through it, he wants to bestow his blessing on you. Through it, he wants to bestow his blessing on you. For the world does not consider labor a blessing. Therefore, it flees from it and hates it, the world does. But the pious, the godly, who fear the Lord, labor with a ready and cheerful heart, for they know God's command and God's will in and through their work. The church is too often guilty of separating, and I'm guilty of this too, of separating what happens at work and what happens at church. It's almost cliche to approach worship on Sundays as the laying down of what happens every other day of the week. Come into this place and lay down what happened Monday through Saturday. So we lay down our Monday through Saturday in order to see Jesus. But what if the goal of, for example, pastors, churches, worship leaders, etc., is to instead show you how to see Jesus within Monday through Saturday. Rather than laying down or forgetting your everyday life and problems and frustrations to do something spiritual, I believe we really need to bring all of that to the Lord in worship and make all things spiritual. This is what 1 Peter 2.9 says, very familiar. You, plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. One of my favorite verses. Priest mediate. That's what a priest does. It mediates between God and man for the nation of Israel, between God and the world. You and I are royal priests. We are a royal priesthood. Every one of you are ordained priests, and your parish, your sanctuary, is where you work and play. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought or looked at your work as a temple that you are a priest over. What if your work is actually an act of worship? And not just an act of worship, an act of worship that will last into the new creation. 
One example that came up when I was thinking through this was, um, and you've heard me mention her before, but we have a post, a USPS lady, or post, or post, post lady, postman, post lady, um, whatever the opposite of postman is. Is that post lady, right? Post, post person. Um, our mail lady, mail lady. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it depends. So, our mail lady, she um, is just the best person on earth. I mean, she is awesome. Um, Veda, when she was a baby, back when COVID started, uh, wrote, would write her notes and uh, put them in our mailbox, and then she would, you know, take them out, and, um, and she would take them out, and then we'd randomly, a week later, find a big old bag of stuff on our front porch, and she would go out of her own money and purchase, like, markers and stickers and all that stuff and give them back to Veda with a letter answering whatever question that Veda asked. So, like, one week she was like, you know, what, uh, uh, what does a, a male lady do? And so she went, bought all this stuff, and then responded back, this is what a male lady does, and blah, 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 blah. And uh, to the point where when Veda had her birthday party last year uh, at our house, she came to our birthday party on her route, in the middle of her route, and brought a gift for Veda. I mean, just, I mean, she is just amazing. Not just that, she goes so far beyond the, the, the job description that she knows the names of our family. She knows the name of our cat now. She knows uh, how old Veda is, what she's into, Veda's friends. So if we're outside, she'll say, one of Veda's friends that live across the street, name's Lincoln. And, um, and so she'll say, Veda, are you playing with Lincoln today? And I'll, she's just amazing lady. And so as I was thinking through this, I was like, at no point have we sat down, because obviously she's on a mail route, have we sat down and talked about what her theology is. At no point. However, even if she doesn't go to church, I see Jesus bleeding through her in everything that she does. The reason I see that is because she does her job as an act of worship, whether or not she even knows that, by how she honors her job with the excellency that she brings to it. You know what I mean? And so because of how good of a job that she does at her job, we see Jesus through that as much as you guys might see Jesus through something I might preach on a Sunday. And, and so she has, again, she probably has never even thought about this, but she has taken a mill route and made it a temple that she is a priest over. This is what a lady named Dorothy Sayers says. Is from the, uh, I sent this to some of you guys this week. She says this, Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but a thing one lives to do. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, just survive, but a thing one lives to do. Your work is as much about the money as mine is, and I am not here for the money. Uh, trust me. You know what I'm saying? Just trust me when I tell you. So our work is not just about how much of a paycheck you get, even though many of us see it like that. Because I'm not here for, this, for the pay, and you're not at your job. Probably, probably you believe you're at your job for the pay. What you don't see is you're at your job for something much deeper than a paycheck. 
I could make, just for example, I could make much more elsewhere. But I'm here because it is what I love, and it's where God has specifically placed me. And your work is not a passive place to pay the bills. It is your God-ordained church to bring the kingdom into the earth. Told you I was real practical. And if this is the case, then suddenly you begin to look at your job differently. If that's the case, suddenly you begin to look at your job differently. Suddenly the things that stress you out become opportunities for you to pastor or shepherd or priest things into the kingdom that I, as a pastor of a church, could not do because I'm not where you are. You do things that I could not do, and I do things that you could not do because of where the Lord has placed us. But together, suddenly, we're doing things that are completely whole for the city of Columbia. Okay? So three things we're going to talk about today. Your work is, number one, your work is sacred or holy. Okay? Number one. Number two, your work is worship. And number three, your work is important. And that's a big one we're going to end on. Your work is sacred, your work is worship, and your work is important. Let me read this in Exodus 31. This is not a chapter that I've ever heard preached on. This always gets, gets skipped over because on the surface, it's not deep spiritual revelation. But I want you to hear this. 31. The Israelites are in the wilderness. God is giving the command of, of how to build the tabernacle. Let me speak on the tabernacle for a second. I have to do this because we'll miss this. Uh, the tabernacle is an Old Testament incarnation of the presence of God. Here's what I mean. Incarnation in the New Testament was, of course, Jesus. When you walk up to Jesus and you lay your hands on Jesus, you are physically touching God. He's incarnate in Christ. In the temple, in the same way, God gives them the command to build the tabernacle because God desired to dwell with us. Okay, This is why John in John 1.14 says, The word became flesh, and the Greek is, and tabernacled among us. He's pointing back to the Exodus when in Exodus they're given the command to build a tabernacle so that the Israelites could walk up to a property, to a place, to a structure that when they lay their hands on it, they're touching God. So the temple was the first sign or shadow or type of incarnation that we see in the Old Testament. Which, and, and I'm going to teach on this at some point. Even the way the temple was designed and the way the priests did their work mimicked. It was almost a microcosm of creation. They entered in backwards through the days. So they started at day seven and go all the way into the Holy of Holies. By the time they get to the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies specifically is covered in cloth, multiple layers of cloth, and then it's covered in uh, animal skin. Why? so that there isn't one shred of light that penetrates into the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies was complete darkness when you went in, which is why they're given command to have lamps, etc. So when you walked in, there was multiple reasons for this. One, 
as God tells Moses, no man can look upon the face of God and live, so it's completely dark. But they're walking backwards through the days of creation. If you go to Genesis 1, how does Genesis 1 start? The earth was void and formless. What? Darkness covering the deep. Every time they enter into the Holy of Holies, they're being taken back to originality. You know what I'm saying? And when they leave the Holy of Holies, they go back through the days of creation. They leave the darkness. They step into the light of the lamp. And so I'm going to teach this soon, but, but this, is, this is what the tabernacle is, okay? It's a microcosm of creation ending in rest because once they left, it was on the Sabbath. Okay, there's so much there I could go deeper and deeper and deeper into, but we'll just hang out right there. So when they're given the command to build the tabernacle, a very important work, very important work. Listen to what chapter 31 of Exodus says. Starting in verse 1, I'm only going to read to 11. The Lord spoke to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the divine spirit, listen, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stone for setting, in carving wood in every kind of craft. Isn't that interesting? I have filled him with the Spirit of God, is the alternate translation there. I have filled him with the Spirit of God to do what? Prophesy to the nations? No, to build, to be artistic, to work with gold, silver, and bronze, to cut stones, to carve wood. Moreover, I have appointed with him Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given skill to all the skillful so that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant, and the mercy seat that is on it, all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the basin with its stand, and the finely worked vestments, and the holy vestments for the priest, Aaron, and the vestments of his son for their service as priest, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. Listen, they shall do all that I have commanded you. Now, there's a reason why people skip over that is because on the surface, it's like, who cares? That's the problem. You see what I'm saying? So you have Moses, who is kind of an a apostolic figure, okay? The leader, the visionary. And then you have Aaron and his sons and the Levites who are priests. Moses, the apostolic leader, and the Levites and Aaron, the prophets, you might call them the priests, Okay, the priests and the prophets. I call them prophets. Um, but they're very similar. Moses, same thing. Prophetic, apostolic, all combined into one. Those big titles cannot do what they are called to do unless there is a group of people who are anointed to build the structure that isn't glamorous ministry. But ministry cannot take place unless they're anointed to do the things that Moses and Aaron are not anointed to do, which is carve, which is cut, which is make incense, which is to make anointing oil, which is to teach, which is to be in banking, which is to be in education, which is to be in business, which is to be in warehouses. Which, 
The, the only way the kingdom can advance beyond the church is if the people that live beyond the church most of their life take on the responsibility of being anointed to do their job because the Lord placed them there for a purpose. Right? The tabernacle is not just being built in the church. The vision of the tabernacle is being sent forth from the church. But the tabernacle is being built in your jobs and in your families. And we come back here so that the priests, the saints, can be encouraged and, and um, educated, I guess you would say, to do the work of the ministry. Right? This is why you come in. The, the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What work of the ministry? Your jobs. That's it. And how many people, at least, Lord, growing up, Matt, you know this story too. Isaiah, I'm sure you do too, being in a seminary. I mean, how many people have said, this is the goal of my life, to quit my job and be in full-time ministry? You know what I'm saying? Quit my job and be in full-time ministry, right? And I'm speaking as somebody who's, who's in full-time ministry, okay? So, but, because we need that. But however, why do we see full-time ministry as something other than your job? No, you're, jo- you're in full-time ministry. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just bless you. You are in full-time. When you're delivering packages, UPA, that's full-time ministry. You get the opportunity. Listen, not to make it too spiritual, but you get the opportunity. Every package that's going to hit hundreds of people, you can anoint those packages before you hand them off. And when they touch them, they're receiving something that's anointed. I mean, it's, it's, it's over and over and over. Kids are coming into your office all the time, I'm sure, when they come into the office, and they live lives that are absolute just, just crud. You know what I'm saying? At home, and all of a sudden, they come into the office of a priest, and that priest is able to give them something that they don't have at home, that they haven't gotten from their friends, which is a divine reality of who they are. And Tim doesn't even have to say one thing about God. Because he's carrying God within him, as his words begin to flow out of his mouth, they're receiving words not from Tim, but from the Spirit that's speaking through Tim. This is, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? This is happening. Hannah's not here, but she's making smoothies that she's posting all the time. They look amazing. As she's doing that, people don't understand that they, when they're drinking this, they're drinking something that is from the Spirit, and it's becoming who they are. And we, if, we're care- if we're not careful, we'll see this as, I'm just working at a school, I'm just working at UPS, I'm just making smoothies, I'm just being a manager, I'm just working at a bank, I'm just working at a warehouse, but one of these days, man, I'm going to do some amazing ministry. And, as somebody from experience, if you can't do ministry where you are now, you'll never be able to do ministry anywhere else. The Lord's calling you to do ministry and be a pastor and be a priest and be a leader and be an evangelist where you are. You don't have to go to Hawaii. I'm, in fact, I'm asking you not to go to Hawaii. You know what I'm saying? Brother, I'm going I'm to go give my life for the gospel. You give your life to the gospel here. You know what I'm saying? America needs the gospel. If you haven't turned on the news lately, we need the gospel. We're sending all of our people over to countries that are being exploded with the gospel. Those countries need to send their people here. Like, Lord, we're going to send people to China. No, we need people from China to come here and teach us what's up. You know? Because they're going underground, worshiping with their lives on the line, and they don't have flashy lights, and they don't have big sound systems. They've got one page of a handwritten Bible. You know what I'm saying? We've got 450 translations of the Bible we got lights, we got money beyond our wildest dreams, and people are at the lake today. <laughs> huh? You know what I'm saying? Brother, I, I love the Lord. Really? Okay. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but, but, right? 
And I'm, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't have fun, okay, Lord. But you know what I mean? But when, when are we going? But, I'm, man, I, I feel called to ministry. Well, I, man, we haven't seen you in a while. I feel, man, I, I just feel called. I feel called. Really? You know what I mean? Here's what's crazy. Here's what people think. When you get into ministry, it's like, man, I can just study the Bible all day. Here's what nobody ever tells you about ministry. Nobody ever told me this about ministry. When you, when you get into ministry, suddenly you become just a big old target that for fun, people are just like, you know what I mean? Everything's wrong. Everything you say is wrong. Everything you do is wrong. Everything you think is wrong. Every, every time the building smells different, it's wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's all wrong. It's all bad. It's all wrong. And uh, people is like, if you, if you don't say this, we ain't going to give. Don't give. That's pray, praise God. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? But So let me just bless you with this. Where you are is not by accident. Where you are is not because you just stumbled into a job that you needed just to get by. The Lord opened up that door for a purpose. You thought you were there just to get by for a season. But the Lord opens doors that no man can shut, and the Lord shuts doors that no man can open. If a door opens in front of you and you are a follower of Christ, you need to understand that door opened not by accident, not because you forced it open, but because the Lord allowed it to be open for you to go in. And he shut all the doors around you so that you wouldn't go in a door that you weren't made for. So why are you here? When you go to your job, you need to start asking the question. I'm going to encourage you. Why am I here? God tells them in Exodus 31 that I have filled him I have filled them with the Spirit of God, with the ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every craft. Were these pastors or ministry leaders? No. They were builders, they were artists, and they were craftsmen. Work, this is a big definition if you're taking notes. Work is sharing in the creativity of God to bring about what is good. Work is sharing in the creativity of God to bring about what is good. This is the story of Genesis 2. God plants a garden. He plants a garden, and not just any garden. He doesn't just say, oh, man, it's Monday. i got to go plant this garden. Y'all give me a minute. Throws out, you know what I mean? Throws out some flowers. Throws out, that looks all right. All right, Lord. Let me go back to studying my Bible, you know? No, the Lord meticulously plants a garden. And work, here's a, here's, a, here's a huge point. Work was not a curse of the fall. Adam and Eve are called to work the garden before Genesis 3. Listen, toil is a curse of the fall. Work is not a result of the fall but toil is. And here's the problem. Work and toil are so similar, you might miss the difference. Okay? Work is sharing in the creativity of God to bring about what is good. Listen, toil is work apart from rest. It's tireless work. It's painful work. So let me say it like this. If work is sharing in the creativity of God to bring about rest... Toiling is work apart from the creativity of God to bring about what is good. And you know the difference. I know the difference. When you're working 
and creativity's flowing. Like if your boss came to you and said, we're, we're starting this brand new program and I want you to design it. And all of a sudden, this, this creativity begins to flow, right? So you're working hard, but it brings you life. Same thing. Last week, we covered this floor in carpet cleaner, and I'm just in here vacuuming, and it's just a blast. I'm just having a blast vacuuming. Isaiah's like, you want me to do that? I'm like, actually, no, I'll do it, you know? And, and I'm just, so it's work, but I'm, I, in that, I see myself as sharing in the creativity of God, bringing about something good in this room. I'm not going to allow the floors of God's temple to get dirty. That's part of my pastoral priestly role. And that might seem insignificant. It might seem like, well, why does it, I mean, who cares? But everything that I do in my job is an act of worship, from the smallest to the least. Listen, let me, what, what would you do if you were walking down the street and you saw a McDonald's package on the side of the road, right? You have two options. You could walk past it because there might be germs on it or whatever. Or you could take that and you could drop it in the trash can. No one's going to see. No one's going to notice. You're not going to get an award for that. No, I mean, literally, like your life's going to be no different because you did that. Except in that moment, what you're saying is, this is my city. I am a priest over this temple called Columbia. And because of that, even the dirt on the ground is my responsibility. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so what happens when you go to your job and you have people on staff that are paid to clean and you walk by and somebody threw a, a gum wrapper on the ground? You could say, that's not my problem. Or you could say, this is a temple of the Most High God. That is my problem. Do you see what I'm saying? And you start to take responsibility for the temple that God has given you the call to be a priest over rather than a job that you're just trying to get by until the next job opens up. Huge, okay? This is what um, I want to speak to. Rest in point number one, or Sabbath, happens when we take a day to physically rest, absolutely, but it also happens when we live with purpose in the trust of God. So, so I work, like I just said, really hard here at Dream, but I do it because I know why I'm here. Therefore, my work is always actually rest. If you know why you are where you are, even when you work hard, it's rest. You'll go home completely satisfied after a long day of work because you know why you're working. If you don't know why you're there, you'll go home and you'll be exhausted because it drains you. And that's really the big difference between work and toil. Work, you leave filled up. Toiling, you leave empty. The difference is not what you do, it's how you see what you do. Your work is holy, number one, or set apart, or sacred, because as a priest, you know that you have been anointed to be where you are, listen, for the purpose of the kingdom being seen through what you put your hands to. So your work is sacred. Why is it sacred? Because you as a son or daughter of God know that everything you put your hands to becomes sacred. How? 
because the same power that said, let there be light, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead has quickened our bodies, is, has become who we are. So when we touch something, Christ touched something. When we speak to something, Christ speaks to something. When we do something at our job, Christ speaks to something at our job and does the same thing through us. It's sacred. It's holy. Why is it holy? Because you're there. That's it. Your job is sacred because you are sacred. And that means everything you do becomes sacred. Everybody good? All right. Number two, your work is worship. Go with me to Colossians 3. I'm just going to read two verses out of Colossians. And I'm going to read verses 23 through 24. Again, super familiar. Um, But let me read these. And I'm almost done. Last two pages of my notes. Colossians 3, starting at verse 23. Whatever your task, put yourself into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters. You could say bosses, you could say men, whatever. Whatever task you do, put yourself into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. That is, you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever your task, put yourself into it as done for the Lord and not your master, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. Here's what he's saying, Paul is saying in Colossians. Your work is worship. You work for the Lord. And listen, your pay or inheritance also comes from the Lord. Some of that looks like a paycheck. Some of that looks like things that your paycheck cannot offer you. But you're working for the Lord, and therefore it's the Lord that pays you for your work. It's called inheritance. That means everything you do is an act of worship. All of it. From the smallest to the greatest. In Colossians 3, he says this, that everything done for the Lord is what you receive an inheritance for. So when I was writing this, I thought about Bryson, for example. Bryson working with electrical stuff. He could go into a house, and I'm sure a lot of people do this. I don't want to know who does this, Lord. Probably did it in our house. But you could go in there and do the, the shoddiest work, just the biggest just junk job, but at least you got it done. Because guess what? They're about to put drywall over it. You'll never know. You, you, you will never know if the electrical work in your house is just duct taped up halfway done. Never know. Until there's either a fire or until everything goes out. You know what I'm saying? But... You'll never know. So Bryson, Bryson could go in there and he could just, just throw some stuff up there and get it done. I did my job. Or Bryson could go in there and do what I know you do, right? Go in there and say, if I'm going to be working with electrical stuff in this house, I'm going to make sure that it is the best electrical job that has ever been done in a house. Why would you do that? Because it's an act of worship. Same thing with the tithe. Like we talk about all the time. We, you don't just throw something and hope it sticks. No, you're very specifically giving the best of what you have as an act of worship, knowing God responds with an inheritance that a paycheck can't give you. You know what I'm saying? And so who knows how many doors. My dad's a good example of this. He hates, he'll hate that I'm saying this. But my dad, our whole life, 
has not just done a job. He's done a great job at his job our whole lives. And we've been taught to do the same thing. And because of that, doors have been opened up for him that would not have been opened up, I believe, if he had just been another employee. But he went above and beyond over and over and over again to do the best work because he's anointed to do the best work. He's not anointed to do halfway work, right? And when he does the best work, suddenly the Lord does what? Throws open the floodgates of heaven and pours out a blessing that you don't have room to contain, And this happens over and over when we decide that we're going to be those who are anointed to do our jobs, not just to do a job, but to bring the kingdom into the earth through it. And it might seem, and this is a problem, it might seem insignificant. It does seem insignificant. How how is me doing, to use Bryson's example, how is me doing a great electrical job going to fit into the new creation? How does that fit? It's because every good work that is accomplished by the people of God is not just going to find fulfillment in the new creation. It's part of bringing the new creation into this creation. So every time I make the decision to live as one anointed, every single time I'm bringing the kingdom of the earth or the kingdom of heaven into the earth by way of what I'm doing. So when people walk into the house that Bryson's touched, they're actually walking into the kingdom of heaven and they're completely unaware until they get into that house and suddenly their kids that have been sick forever get better. And suddenly they start seeing things they never believed they would see. And suddenly they start hearing things they never believed they would hear and they start receiving blessings they never thought they would receive. And they don't know why. And it's because someone who's a kingdom man has touched this house with an anointing that they are now living in. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. Worship is simply expressing adoration toward God. That's, that's the most simple definition, expressing adoration for God. When you work, you aren't working for your boss, even though you should honor your boss. You're working for the Lord. You are a priest that is offering a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to the Lord through the work of your hands. I, um, I read a quote, and uh, man, I meant to write, did I write it down? Oh, I did write it down. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, I was about to totally butcher it. So your work is worship. Your work is sacred. Your work is worship. And here's what I want to end on. Isaiah, you can hop up here if you don't mind. Um, your work is important. I really want to hit that. Because some of you feel like, and to be honest with you, I feel like this sometimes. We all feel like this. I mean, when you're a pastor, you're absolutely not immune to it. In fact, sometimes you feel this more than anybody else. What you do matters. It might not ever get thanked. It might not ever get appreciated. It might not ever get anybody's attention. You might not ever get interviewed on a podcast to ask how great of a job that you do. But what you do is absolutely important. Let me say like this. Everything that you do matters immensely to the Lord. The Lord is engaged with every single thing that you put your hands to. All of it. Jesus, before he was ever a minister, was a carpenter. Let me read another quote real quick. This is the quote that has become one of my favorite lately. This is from Dorothy Sayers. She said this. Listen to this. 
no crooked legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter shop at Nazareth. Listen. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made the heavens and the earth. One more time. No crooked legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter shop at Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. If the same spirit that created the cosmos down to the smallest detail is in you and I, what does that say about how well you and I should do the vocational kingdom work that God has anointed us for? It is important. Making a table with some legs in Nazareth seemed completely and totally insignificant. However, Every single screw that was driven in, every nail that was driven in, every one of them was an act of creation from the same hand that created everything. What, and this is a big statement. What if, and I'm saying that kind of sarcastically, what if the hand that created the heaven and the earth is what is working through what you do with your hand every single day? It, I mean, if Jesus was doing your job, what would it look like? We see Paul, the apostolic father. What we don't see is Paul, the tent maker. And I'm telling you, the, the reason I, I've struggled for years, why did Jesus have to be a carpenter before he was ever a minister? I mean, why did God working? It's kind of, you know what I mean? There's a point in, in the life of Jesus where Peter is, is asking Jesus if they should pay taxes. I ask that all the time. They, if they should pay taxes, right? And Jesus says, yes. And do you know where Peter gets his taxes? From the mouth of a fish in the water. He opens up the mouth, the, mouth, the fish's mouth opens, and there's the money for the taxes for him and Christ. If he can do that, and he needed some money... Did he really have to work in a carpenter shop or could he just go down to the fishing hole, you know what I'm saying, and get all the money he needed? But he worked as a carpenter. So for years I've been like, why? In fact, that part of the story is rarely mentioned. We barely know he was a carpenter, barely. Which tells us for 30 years out of 33, the majority of his life, Jesus did something so insignificant it wasn't even worth writing about. Or was it? That's, that's the problem with our culture right there. I think that's been the problem with humanity from the beginning is we think that we have to do something big and public and grand in order to be everything God has called us to be? What if God has called you to be what no one else could be, which is an amazing banker? What if God is calling you to be something that no one else could be, which is an amazing mom? 
my, just to use Jordan, my, my wife and my mom was a stay-at-home mom too growing up. Um, Jordan, uh, A, made more money than I made when she was working, right? She's got the degree. She's, she's got a business marketing degree, right? And so she can do whatever she wants. And, um, but has made the decision to go into hiding in a, in a job that never gets appreciated, that never gets thanked, that never gets seen. People always, when they talk about us, they always talk about Josh because I'm right here with a microphone and a camera and a podcast that people listen to. And you know what nobody sees? Our family is not where it is today had it not been for her, not me. Do you know what I'm saying? And so she has made the decision, I'm going to hide and become a nobody in the eyes of the culture so that my daughter can become somebody. And and that is important. We've got to stop deciding what is important and what's not important by how much influence people have. Because I know a lot of people that have absolutely no influence but are absolutely necessary to the kingdom in the earth. And I'm looking at a bunch in the room right now. Right? Uh, what you do matters. I mean, we uh, being a doctor, we got a doctor in the room. That matters. You know what I'm saying? That, that really matters. And if we're not careful, we'll look at the pastor and say the pastor's doing more for the kingdom than the doctor. No, they're both doing things for the kingdom in different spheres of society that the kingdom must invade in order to bring it on earth as it is in heaven. I guarantee you the kingdom of heaven is not just us sitting around singing kumbaya for all of eternity. It's people painting, it's people building, it's people creating, it's people in relationships, it's people raising legacy, it's people being in finance, it's people educating, and that's what the kingdom looks like. That's why the early church spent so much time educating the uneducated. A lot of the early church, if you walked into just an early church service, it would not look like what we did today. It would look like a classroom with them teaching people how to read and write. Because Why? Because it mattered. Somebody's got to write down this stuff for the next generation so that when they're raised up, guess what? They know what they're a part of. So we're going to have to teach people to write. We're going to have to teach people to read. It's going to be slow. It's going to be meticulous. People aren't going to show up when they said they're going to show up. People are going to choose to go to the stadium instead. People are going to choose to go out and do whatever they want instead. But we've got to choose this path for the long of what the Lord is doing in the earth. And thank God they did or else we wouldn't be here. So let me ask you this question. This is how we're going to end. I told y'all, very practical. <clears throat> There's a couple of questions that I, I just, I just want to address real quick. Number one, what if I hate my job? What if I absolutely hate my job? Let me just be vulnerable. Sometimes I hate what I do. I've never thought about quitting, ever. You'll have to kill me to get me to quit. You know what I'm saying? But um, part of that's just my sports sports mentality. But but there is no job on planet Earth that's just roses and, and lilies all day. You know what I'm saying? But if you hate what your, what your job is, I would, I would begin to ask, 
Why do you hate it? Are there things about your job that you hate that are solely because of a perspective? You know what I mean? Especially our generation. Nobody wants to work. So you ask people, do you feel, do you feel called to be a, a trash person? No, absolutely not. Why? It's a lot of work. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's got to do it. You know, you know, like some people are anointed to do that. You know what I mean? So, so you might hate a job that the Lord's anointed you to do, and all you've got to do is realize you're anointed to do it. That you're there as a leader, not as a slave. Even if you're the lowest person in the, person in the company, you're there as a priest over that company. Right? In fact, the kingdom works bottom up, not top down. So if you hate your, I, w- I would just, if you hate your job, I'd go home, I'd write down all the things you hate about it, and then I would begin to ask, if I changed my perspective about my job, how much of this list disappears? Number two, though, and this is, I'm going to say this real carefully, with what I just said as a caveat, also don't settle for just having a job. Some of you are gifted and talented to do amazing things that you're not doing right now. So in the same sense that you need to honor where you are, you don't need to settle for something that you're not anointed to do. That's why I said I need to give that caveat because anointing and being lazy are not the same. You know what I'm saying? But but some of you are anointed to be amazing business people and you're working in, you know, I don't know, banking. I'm, try, I'm just trying to think of the different, you know, areas. That doesn't mean you need to quit tomorrow, but it does mean maybe you need to trust the Lord to open up a door to put you in a place that you're anointed to be at. So don't settle. Number two question I'm going to answer real quick. Isn't work legalism? No, toiling is legalism. Work is partnering with God to bring new creation into the globe. You see what I'm saying? Toiling... And doing things thinking it's going to earn you an identity, that's legalism. Okay? But, but what you do from who you are is partnering with God. Jesus did a lot of stuff. He did a lot of stuff, and none of it was legalistic because he knew who he was. So because he knew who he was, everything that he did had purpose. You know what I'm saying? So work is not legalism. Toiling is legalism. And you're absolutely not called to do that. And then number three, and I just answered a little bit, but what about all my dreams? What about all my dreams? And here's what I'll tell you. You need to chase your dreams. Uh, Damon Thompson said this recently, and it was really good. He said, what would you do for the Lord if you had $100 million in your bank account? And I was like, I'll buy a building, you know, and uh, but you know what? But just what would you do for the Lord if you knew you wouldn't fail? And maybe it's being where you are. Like maybe where you are is exactly where you need to be. But for some of you, maybe you need to start thinking about what does it look like for me to be exactly where the Lord's called me to be. Like Angela's doing that right. Angela, not to point you out, but stepping out in faith. And Angel's like, you know what? I don't know if I'm called to work for a practice. I think I'm called to start a practice. And so she's working, doing the process, working hard, all that stuff to get a practice going. Stuart's doing the same thing, just did it. 
He's like, man, what would it look like for me to go out from under somebody that I don't necessarily know if I jive with how they're doing things and instead step out and take the risk to do things on my own? And he's doing that. And, and when the Lord anoints you to do things like that, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended what the Lord has planned for those who do that. I'm a testimony to that. We shouldn't be here today. Our church should not exist today. But we are here, and we're not just here. We're here overflowing with blessing. And it's, and it's just because of a yes. So I'm going I'm to end. I could keep going. But I, I, feel, I feel called to preach a lot of practical stuff coming up. I feel called, I feel like we have a lot of head knowledge and theology that we've been going over over the past few years. There's a lot of stuff you know. You know about the incarnation. You know about the atonement. You know about all the stuff. We've been talking about it. How do you take that, and then when you wake up on Monday morning, it become a reality in your life? That's, that's what I really want to spend a lot of time on late, uh, coming up. But before we end, I'm going I'm to read this quote from Kevin Rowe, and, uh, and then I'll pray. <clears throat> Y'all just hang with me this last part. Novelist Barbara Hardy once wrote that we dream in a narrative, daydream in narrative, remember, anticipate, hope, despair, believe, doubt, plan, revise, criticize, construct, gossip, learn, hate, and love all by narrative. Her point was that, oh, excuse me, her point was not that narrative is important. She takes that for granted. Her point is more significant. Narrative is the stuff within which our whole lives are lived, which means that we live by stories. Now, last part. The story of everything is a story about all there is. The very earliest Christians believed that God, who elected Abraham and his offsprings, who raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead, was the one who made all that is not God. There is God and not God, and that is all there is. When, therefore, you tell a story about that God, you are actually telling a story about everything. Here's why I read that quote. You and I are playing a role right now in the story of everything. Everything. And when you begin to play a role in that story, what you're really telling the world a story of is God. Because God is the story of everything. And you might not ever see how that works. You might not ever see how your job connects with the kingdom ever in your life. But I'm here to tell you it does. It matters. It is everything that Jesus planned for when he died and rose again and gave us the commission to bring the kingdom into the earth. Everything. It includes what you do. It's not a, your, what you do is not an obstacle to get over so you can get to what's next. It is exactly where the Lord has anointed you to be. So listen, so do a good job and do everything as if you are Christ doing everything. I mean, you listen, you could, you could skip out on a lot of things. I, I told this to somebody one time, not to get legalistic, but what's the mindset? You know, I used to sneak out of uh, work early, um, and I was working at a church, so um, I used to make up an excuse so I could sneak out about 30 minutes early, and I look back and I start to think, um, I, that, I think that was dishonoring to the Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, Josh, that's super legalistic. 
But my mindset was, I'm going to cut this corner in order to go do something that I'm really called to do or that I really want to do. And man, what testimony begins to flow off of our life? And that's just an example. If you do that, whatever. But what testimony begins to flow off of our life when we live with such an integrity and an excellence and a purpose that everybody around us begins to ask? They do what no one else does. Why? What happens when your boss comes to you and says, you know what? Your office is the cleanest office in this building. Why do you spend so much time cleaning your office? And then you say, because I follow Jesus. And because I honor your office building, I'm going to keep my space and the spaces around me as clean, so clean you could eat it off of the floor just because I honor you. What, I mean, what happens when you go to your boss and you say, is there anything more I could do out of sheer honor for your position in my life? You talk about doors beginning to open. That's not kissing up. That's honor. And honor begins to move in ways that you wouldn't even imagine. But I'm just telling, I'm speaking to a room full of people that, a lot of people that are young, and you don't get told this. You get told the opposite. Get through your job and you can go have fun. You can have fun at your job. It, it is fun being excellent at what you do. Don't just do what you do. Be the best at what you do. Lord, I feel like I'm doing a TED Talk and I hate it. But, but, but this is kingdom stuff. Don't just do your job. Be the best at your job. Don't just meet your quota. Beat your quota. Why? Just out of honor. That's it. Out of sheer honor. You'll never get a thank you. You might not ever get a bonus. You might not ever get a promotion because of it. But just out of honor. And one of these days, when you stand face to face with Jesus, I promise you, you're going to receive an inheritance for every moment you decided to bring the kingdom into your job. So let me pray. Y'all bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Lord, I thank you that you're bringing us into a place where this, this, this kingdom thing is starting to spread into areas outside of the church. I was joking with somebody this week, and I said, you know, our church has many different campuses. I'm like, wow, really? And I was like, yeah. Tim works in a school. Stuart and Angela work in counseling. Uh, <laughs> Rachel works at a bank. Uh, we have uh, a newer guy that works at UPS. We have a guy that does electrical. We have uh, people that are in school. We have people that are moms. And I was like, man, we got campuses everywhere. You know what I mean? And, of course, they you know, thought I was crazy. I was being dead serious. But that, that I mean, Lord, I, that's what I want to invest. That's what I want to, if we're going to spend a million dollars on a campus, I'd rather spend a million dollars and build a school that when people drive by it, they look at that thing and say, that is the best school I think I've ever seen in my life. Well, brother, that's not, that's absolutely the king. That, that is just as much kingdom as us showing up and doing worship. And, and that, I'm telling you, our, our church is so different in that we're starting to have a global view of, of the church. So when we come in this place, the Lord is equipping the kingdom of priests to go out and be priests over their sanctuaries. And so here's what I want to do as we pray. God, I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would just begin to be so powerful in the lives of everybody in the room and anybody watching this later. 
I pray that the anointing would flow in such a way that everything they touch in their work is anointed by God and that everything that they touch, they prosper through and their businesses and jobs prosper through because of an anointed one being there in the room. I pray that they'll begin to see things, even disappointments, even struggles, even situations that they used to shy away from. I pray that they would begin to see opportunity in those moments to bring the kingdom into a dark place and allow the light that the darkness cannot overcome to be shed abroad into the darkness in whatever moment that that calls for, even if it's so insignificant, it seems like it doesn't matter to anybody. It does matter to you. Let us see that everything we do is sacred, everything we do is an act of worship, and everything that we do is important. And this is bringing the kingdom into the globe as it is in heaven. So God, I love you. I pray that you would give us this mindset. I pray that somebody that needs to step out into some dreams would begin to step out into some dreams. There is nothing impossible for us. And I'm speaking as someone who, listen, for the past five years, we have survived on the faithfulness of God. I mean, we have eaten off of the presence of God and the, and the faithfulness of God. And so I'm, I'm gonna testify to you that when you step out with a yes that cannot be shaken, the floodgates of heaven are opened up and a blessing's poured out. I, and I believe, let me say this, I believe that the reason my family and our church has been so blessed is because of our commitment to the tithe. Our church tithes 15% of every single dime that's given to us, and we do it religiously. Why do we do that? We could use that money for a lot of stuff, right? But I'm telling you, we, in order to achieve the dreams the Lord has given us, we don't need our 15%. We need the floodgates of heaven to be open. And so we give in an act of trust, knowing that the only way we survive by giving away that much money is if the Lord provides through people like you trusting that the Lord provides for you too. It is a, that's what I love about the church. It's a never ending spin of trust and faithfulness and acts of trust and faithfulness. You give to the church as an act of trust. The church gives to X, Y, and Z, whatever the Lord puts on us as an act of trust. And it's repaid by you giving in an act over and over and over and over and over again. And we begin to feast on the faithfulness of God together. So Lord, I love you. I honor you in this place. I thank you for what you're doing in us and it's in your name. Amen.